0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz
1: The next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Then Agrippa said to Paul,
2: you have permission to speak for yourself.
1: So Paul began his defense.
2: King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. Therefore, I beg of you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. They have known me for a long time and can testify that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. I put many of the Lord's people in prison. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus about noon, King Agrippa, and I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from, from darkness to light, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. My God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles.
1: Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane.
2: I am not insane, most excellent, Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do.
1: Then Agrippa said to Paul,
2: Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today, may become what I am, except for these chains.
1: The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment.
0: This morning we're carrying on our series in the book of Acts this book in the Bible that tells the story of the first three decades after the life of Jesus. And recently we've been looking at the life of Paul, the life of the Apostle Paul, who travelled around the ancient world sharing the gospel and planting churches. And as we pick up the story this morning in Acts 25 and 26, we find Paul as a prisoner in a place called Caesarea. It's in northern Israel, and he's a prisoner of the governor there, Governor Festus. And Paul is awaiting transfer to Italy. He's going to be sent to Rome to stand trial before Caesar's court. He's a Roman citizen, and he's appealed to Caesar, so he's going to be sent there. But while he's waiting for that transfer, the governor gets a visit from King Herod Agrippa, who is kind of the main character in this chapter of the book of Acts. And Agrippa was a king on behalf of Rome in the northern part of Israel. He ruled over a couple of the northern territories. And he came and made this customary visit to Governor Festus. And while he was there, he took a bit of an interest in Paul and Paul's case. He was a Jewish king by birth. And so he was interested in Jewish affairs. And Paul's case was very connected to the Jewish people and the Jewish story. And so Agrippa requested that Paul appear before him and that he have an opportunity to, to listen to Paul. And so the governor arranges this. And the next day, Paul is brought in before King Agrippa. And just try to imagine this scene in your mind. The place where it all happened was this incredible palace that Festus had within Caesarea, this opulent uh, palace in and, and this audience room, uh, within this incredible surroundings that Festus had there as his, as his palace, as his governor's residence. And King Agrippa comes in with his sister Bernice. And they're dressed in their royal robes and all of their finery with crowns on their heads. And Festus comes in and he's dressed in his regal attire as the Roman governor. You have all the leading citizens of Caesarea there. These people of rank and status and wealth, incredible resources. You have the highest ranking military officials there. These, these Roman soldiers that were in charge of thousands of men. And it's just a display of Roman power and Jewish power. And in the middle of the setting, they bring out Paul, who's this humble prisoner, probably dressed in bedraggled clothes, and he would have been bound in chains. He had no social status or standing whatsoever And you really have two opposite ends of the social spectrum right there in the same room. You have those right at the top of the social ladder, the the king, the governor. And you have Paul right at the bottom of the ladder. But Agrippa turns to Paul and he invites him to speak. He invites him to give an account of himself. And so Paul does that. He begins the speech, a really significant speech in Paul's life, one of the longest speeches that we have in the book of Acts. And the text calls this Paul's defense. It uses that word defense, and, and the Greek word is apologia, and it means literally to give an account or to give an explanation of ourselves or, or of something we believe or of something that we've seen. It's the same word that's used elsewhere in the New Testament in First Peter to call every Christian to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, and that word answer in First Peter 3.15, it's the same word, apologia. We're called to be ready to give a defense of what we believe. And so really what Paul is doing before Herod Agrippa is the same thing that every Christian is called to do in every context. Now, we're not going to be called into that same kind of environment that Paul was called into. This is a dramatic scene, and this is full of all sorts of pomp and ceremony. There are Christians that have been called to share the gospel before people of power and heads of state and so on. But for most of us, the way this is going to look is very ordinary conversations everyday interactions with friends, with family, with workmates, with colleagues, people that we know, or people that just come across our path. And the Bible calls us, like Paul, to be ready to give this apologia, to give this defense. That is, to give an explanation for what we believe, to be prepared, to give an account for why we are a Christian, why we follow Jesus, and to give a reasonable account of the Christian faith that we hold. And as we think about how to do that in our modern context, we can gain a lot of wisdom from the way that Paul goes about it in Acts 26. The way that he uses the opportunity before Agrippa has a lot to teach us about how we can defend our faith before other people today. So I want to just make three simple observations from this passage about how Paul defends his faith and how we can defend our faith today. The first is simply to share our story. And this is what Paul does. If you read this chapter, Acts 27, the majority of Paul's speech is taken up with just sharing his story. And because he's talking to a a Jewish king, he tailors the story to his audience and he emphasizes the Jewish aspects of his story. He's not making things up, but he just emphasizes his Jewish upbringing, his life as a Pharisee, that he was a persecutor of the church. And yet how his life was radically transformed on the Damascus Road when he encountered Jesus. He encountered the risen Jesus and Jesus commissioned him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul shares that story. And, and Paul seemed to have this conviction that simply sharing his story was a powerful way of communicating his faith to others. That's why he does it so much. I mean, this is one of the reasons that we have such a good picture of Paul's Damascus Road conversion is because he talks about it so often. I mean, he shares it all the time. He keeps coming back to his story because he really believed that was one of the ways of communicating his faith. He wasn't just about arguments and debates and and arguing over points of doctrine. Paul would simply, many times, just share his story. And there's a wonderful lesson for, for us in that today that one of the greatest tools we have in engaging with other people around faith is simply to share our faith story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story. You might not feel like you do. You might not feel like it's a very good story, but it's a story. It's a story about the grace of God and what your life was like before you knew Jesus and why you decided to become a follower of Jesus and the difference that God has made in your life. That, that's your story. And never underestimate the power that story might have in the life of another person. We see it all the time at Shaw. If you've been along to one of our services where we've had baptisms, you will have heard stories of people who share their faith, share their testimony before they're baptized. And every story is so different. And people have walked such vast and varied roads to get to that point of accepting Christ. But different stories connect with different people. And people will relate to different things people say and and someone will be encouraged by hearing someone's story and and they'll be encouraged to take a faith step themselves, maybe towards baptism or or growing in their relationship with God or maybe even accepting Christ themselves. We can be encouraged, we can be stirred, we can be inspired by hearing the stories of others. Chelsea's going to share her story at the end of this message. You'll get a chance to hear another person's story, a testimony of faith that can encourage you. But you've got a story if you're a Christian and be willing to share it. As the opportunity comes up in conversation if there is the opportunity share a bit of your story share a bit of your testimony it's it's not threatening it's not something people can argue with argue against because it's simply your life your experience and your account of what God has done in your life so be willing and be prepared to share your story now the second thing that Paul does in this passage is he shares Jesus' story. And there's a movement here as you read this chapter from Paul's story to Jesus' story. And again, as Paul starts talking about Jesus, he emphasizes the Jewish aspects of Jesus that are particularly relevant to King Agrippa. He talks about Jesus as the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy He talks about him as the Jewish Messiah who was prophesied and and who had to suffer and then be raised again. And Paul says these things because he knows that Agrippa has that Jewish background. And so as we talk to people, there comes a point where we need to be willing to talk to people about Jesus. And Paul would do this, whoever he was talking to and wherever he was, he would share his story, but he would find a way to talk about Jesus. And we need to be brave enough and courageous enough to do the same. Because we can talk about Christian values in general, and that's good. But there are many religions who share our values and general Christian morals. And we can talk generally about the notion of God, and that's good. But again, there are many people, many religions that that share a general understanding of God. It's when we get down to talking about Jesus that the rubber really hits the road. Because Jesus is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. He is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And so our task is to engage people around this question of who do you say Jesus is? And that is a fascinating conversation to have. If we can be brave enough, if we can be bold enough to have it, it is a fascinating conversation to have with people. To talk through who is Jesus? What is his identity? Who did he claim to be? I had a conversation like this with someone not too long ago. And they were asking about who I thought Jesus was. And they were trying to work this out for themselves. And I find in those conversations, I often reach for C.S. Lewis. Not literally one of his books, but I've got in my mind those three categories that C.S. Lewis talked about. Three options of who Jesus could have been. And he says either Jesus claimed to be the son of God, but he knew that he wasn't, in which case he's a liar. Or he claimed to be the son of God and he really thought he was but he wasn't, in which case he's a lunatic, or he claimed to be the Son of God and he was, in which case he is the Lord and we should worship him. And I found that a really clear and simple way of presenting the options to people of who Jesus could be. And the great thing is it gives people the dignity of choice. You're not forcing one view on them. You're saying everyone has to decide for themselves who Jesus is. On the basis of what he said about himself. But what I do love about the way Lewis frames things is that he makes it quite clear there is no option to simply write Jesus off as a good moral teacher. And still today a lot of people want to do that. A lot of people want to dismiss Jesus as a moral teacher and they appreciate the values, they appreciate perhaps the morals that he taught, but we don't want any of that God stuff. We don't want any of these claims that he was the Son of God. And C.S. Lewis points out Jesus never left that option available to us. That is off the table because Jesus said things no moral philosopher would say. He said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's not claiming to be a good moral philosopher. That is claiming to be the Son of God. That is claiming to be the equivalent of God himself. So you're going to have to place Jesus in a different category. You're going to have to do something with those audacious words that he said and that is a way of, of helping bring people to that point of deciding for themselves who Jesus is so we need to be willing to engage people around that question and it's it's a fascinating conversation it can even be an enjoyable conversation to have with people going back and forth around what Jesus said and the options for understanding and thinking through his identity and ultimately his purpose in our lives so, We need to be willing to share our story. We need to be willing to share the Jesus story. And then finally, and this is so masterful what Paul does here, we need to be willing to connect with the person's story, the person that we're talking to. Now, look what Paul does here in Acts chapter 26. He gets towards the end of his message, and he makes this direct appeal to Agrippa. He says in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And he's, he's really looking directly at him at this point and appealing to his heart, appealing to him to have faith in Christ. And here's Agrippa's response in verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, some older translations of the Bible, like the King James Version, have translated this verse a bit differently. They've translated it as, You have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. As if Agrippa is saying, I'm, I'm almost there, Paul. You've, you've almost convinced me. And some overzealous Christians, I think, have seized upon this as, as evidence that Paul almost got Agrippa across the line there. But the reality is that's not really what Agrippa is saying here. This is a much more negative, even derogatory comment that he's making. He, he's dismissing Paul out of hand. He's saying, Paul, do you really think that in the short time I've seen you, you're going to convince me to become a Christian? And the implied answer is no. He's not interested. He's brushing Paul off. And all of Agrippa's ego and pride is just not interested in what Paul's got to say. It's a very negative response. And yet Paul perseveres. And in verse 29, he says, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me, may become what I am, except for these chains. It's a great example of Paul speaking to this man. And Paul doesn't care that he's a king. Paul doesn't care that Agrippa is a dignitary. He doesn't care that he's a VIP. He doesn't care about his status and his power and his means. He just sees him as a human being who needs a savior. And Paul appeals to him on that basis. Paul had a way of looking past all the trappings of wealth and success and whoever else he was talking to and just seeing that he was addressing someone who was a sinner in need of a savior. This is how we've got to see people. You know, we can be intimidated by people. We can feel like people don't want to hear or we can be intimidated by their success or their wealth or their resources or their power or whatever it is. But we've got to learn to see people as Jesus saw them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, lost sheep without a shepherd. That's who people are aside from God. And and that should give us a little bit of confidence and courage to be able to step into those conversations that we're able to have and engage with people around these issues of faith. And so... Our calling is to give people those opportunities when the moment is right. To give people those opportunities to respond to Jesus. There are those times, there are those moments when when people are ready and people are open and we can invite them to accept Christ and give their life to Jesus. Often there are many, many links in the chain in someone's journey of coming to faith. And you may be just one of those links in a chain. You don't know exactly how this person's going to respond. And and many times, most times, they may not accept what you're saying. Agrippa didn't accept here what Paul was saying. Paul was taken out of that room and nothing had really changed for him or for King Agrippa. But Paul was faithful. He was faithful to the task that God had given him, to to share that invitation and then leave the rest to God. Leave God to, to, to work in Agrippa's heart, as God wanted to, and leave that choice up to the king. But Paul was still faithful in putting that invitation out there. And God calls us to have the boldness that when that moment arises, and when hearts are open, to invite people to respond to that offer of eternal life that Jesus gives to every one of us. And you might be in that space this morning where you're listening to this this message, and maybe your heart is open. And and you're ready. Perhaps it's been a long journey for you getting to this point, and there's been many links in your chain along the way. But maybe as you, you're here today, you sense that this is the final link in the chain, and you're ready, and, and you're willing to take that step into God's family, take that step into relationship with Jesus for yourself. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment that can lead you in making that commitment And beginning that relationship, I invite you to pray that prayer along with me. Maybe you're someone who has had a background in church or you've had a faith in the past and it's been real for you at some time but you've just drifted away and you've wandered away from it. But today you've got that sense that God is tugging on your heart and he's calling you back. He's like a loving father calling you home and he's not there to judge you And condemn you and lecture you he is there to wrap his arms around you and welcome you home and i want to encourage you if you're ready to take that step home maybe that first step home back into your heavenly father's arms today and recommit your life to jesus there's nothing more that needs to happen for you to make that commitment everything that needs to have been done has already been done by jesus through his life his death his resurrection now the response is up to you As we finish this morning, before I pray, let me just share a story with you that was shared to me by a guy in our church. He shared with me about a time when he was a teenager down in Christchurch and he was painting one day. He was painting a picture of Cave Rock, which is just outside of Christchurch. And as he was painting, a local pastor walked by him and tried to strike up conversation with him, tried to engage him in conversation, asked him if he was painting Cave Rock. But this guy, as a teenager, just dismissed the guy out of hand, just responded pretty rudely to him and kind of got rid of him. He wasn't interested in talking to him. But as the years passed, this guy, this young teenager, he went on to become a Christian and he went on to enroll in the cadet school for the Salvation Army. And one day he was in his room at the school and he was going through some old things and he found that old painting that he had done of Cave Rock. And then a thought occurred to him. And he went downstairs into the principal's office and he gave the painting to the principal. He showed it to him and he said, do you recognize this? And the principal looked at him with that look of recognition and said, could that really be you? And it turns out that that principal was the same pastor who had walked past this teenager years ago while he was painting and years later, now God had brought those two back together with this young man having become a Christian and this pastor, the principal of the very same school. And that young man went up to his room that day and he wrote out a short prayer reflecting on that experience. He said, Lord, help me to be but a link in a chain of events that you are forging to bring men to Christ. And that's all God's asking us to be a link in the chain, just one step in someone else's journey that might point them toward faith in Jesus. Let's be willing to do that. Let's be willing to share our story as the opportunity arises to do that. Let's be willing to share Jesus's story and part of the biblical story with others as as the moment comes up. And let's be willing to give that invitation and call people to respond to the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. Let me pray, and I want to invite you that if you're ready to take that step towards Jesus today, I want to invite you to pray along with me as I say this prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today just as I am. I can't hide anything from you. You know me inside out, God. You created me, and you love me. But I acknowledge today, God that I've fallen a long way from who you've created me to be, that there is sin in my life, that I've done wrong and I've thought wrong things and I've wandered away from you and just forged my own path. God, today I want to say that I'm sorry. I want to own up to that sin and confess that to you. But I thank you, Jesus, that you have died to pay the price for all the sin in my life to make it possible for me to step into a relationship with you and be reconciled to you, God. And so today I want to do that. Today I receive your gift of forgiveness for all of my sin, past, present, and future. Today I accept your offer of eternal life. Today I step into your family and I ask you to begin that relationship with me. I ask you now to come and live within me, by your Holy Spirit, and to give me that new life that you've promised me. Thank you, God, that even now, as I've prayed this prayer with an open heart to you, you have worked in my heart and made me your son or your daughter. Thank you for this incredible gift, and I want to step forward from here with you, hand in hand with you, as my Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for the gift of eternal life that you've given me through Jesus. Amen. Amen.